You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pruitt. Michael. Andre, are you uh, sitting at home? I am sitting at home. Are you sitting and, at home? And uh, I'm <laughs> sitting in my basement as well, uh, staring at uh, blank wall. Well, not blank walls. I have all kinds of wine memorabilia and wine stuff that reminds me I need to drink, which is good. Not that during this whole thing I need the reminder. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, we are lucky enough. To have somebody uh, different on the podcast, we've never had this guy. I'm very, I'm very impressed. No, Ed but Madronic we... will be joining us from Flat Rock. Ed, you still there? Great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Perfect. we talk about the wines often enough. I think you tag Flat Rock in almost every every podcast. But I know the past couple of years, especially the 2017s, Gravity and the Rusty Shed have been pretty strong showings from the winery but we're, we've got a, a new batch of stuff to taste through with uh ed here from i guess what i referred to with um the westcott's as uh that magic little corner of the bench yeah it, it actually is a really special place there's that little we're farther away from the lake than most and it's uh it's just a really great spot to, to grow grapes so um i know that uh that andre's been on a uh pinot burgundy kind of kick and uh, I know that he is just jonesing to get to the special project that you uh, that you've done. <laughs> but I thought I would make Andre sit for a little bit longer because we have two of your staple wines to go through. And I thought maybe just to piss Andre off a little bit, we would go through those first. Yeah, sounds like a good plan. Yeah, just piss Andre off. That's always my plan. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's exactly what I want to do. Piss off uh, an influencer. So sorry, Andre, it wasn't my idea. It's okay. Uh, Michael's pretty good at taking the blame for this stuff. So uh, we have two. We have the Rusty Shed 2018, which uh, consistently is one of uh, my favorite Chardonnays. Believe it or not, I do have Chardonnays I like, and uh, we also have uh, uh, Nadia's Vineyard Riesling uh, 2017. Ed, why don't you kick us off with which one would you like us to crack open first? And crack open is correct because you have never used a cork in your life, as far as I know. Um, there is a little bit of story there. So, I, I, did, did you ever do the um, uh, our our sparkling tasting where we went back and did the 06 sparkling? Um, we did it last fall. I know. I'm sure you were invited. I was, I was invited, invited and couldn't I make could it. not make it because yeah. I was away. So Yeah, so the only bottle of wine I've ever put in cork was for my mom. She um she when we we, we launched our sparkling with our original 2006 brute, um it was in Crown Cap. I had to get the VQA rules changed uh, to allow me to put to finish it in Crown Cap and my mom said, "I want a spark. My sparkling comes with cork." And so um, I did a handful of cases for my mom in cork, and uh, I discovered nine bottles last fall, which I ended up sharing with a bunch of people, and maybe we have to do it, because I know there's a bottle or two left, um, and it was just a great comparison to compare crown cap versus cork finish. Um, so that there is, I'll say, there might have been 10 six-bottle cases that I've ever put in cork but it was only for my mom and it was only for sale. And maybe with that intro, why don't we start with Nadja's Vineyard Riesling? Because that's, uh, that's part of your mom's little, uh, little cont- contribution to this, uh, this whole project. Well, absolutely. I was a bad kid growing up, and uh, so I got to keep trying to make it up to my mom. And so I named the vineyard after her. 
Um, and she's a lover of Riesling, so um, it was it worked really really well, and and really think it's a I'll say a benchmark Riesling for for Niagara. And uh, the question is, has has it made it up for your mother, or is she still mad? Oh, at you your I I got a long way to go, Michael. A long way to go still. <laughs> yeah, I kind of figured. My, I I am too. Uh, I always bring over uh, when I'm in Toronto. I always bring over wine to my mother's house, uh, and especially when I have to stay overnight. I know that's my room and board. Uh, when I when I go there, and uh, I know that I have to bring at least one or two bottles uh, to make up for everything I did. Yeah. When do I start getting bottles from you for you making up for how you treat me? Uh, no, no. Uh, you get some pretty good wine, though. Uh, <laughs> and my right. wife's like, why are you bringing that good stuff over to Andre? I'm like, because you don't drink red. So, <laughs> <laughs> or, or Riesling anymore. But, but that was another story from a past episode of the, of the podcast. Correct. I, you know what? She, uh, my wife, uh, Ed, if you, if you haven't heard the story, uh, I did an article for, um, at the time, it was... Uh, uh, well, it's tidings now, but it was, I think, uh, what was it before that? Um, well, it was quench and, and it was tidings quench, before sorry, quench. tidings. It was for yeah. tidings and then, uh, yeah. it turned quench. Yeah. So I did a, a Riesling tasting from across Canada. I think we did like 90 Rieslings, if you can imagine in one sitting. Wow. And I learned that my wife doesn't spit. Oh, <laughs> so, you know, you pour the ounce and uh, not only was she feeling pretty good, she like her esophagus was like totally blown out with the acidity. Yeah. So uh, all the Rieslings I bought over the years because she's like, I love Riesling uh, are now sitting yeah. aging. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> I think we all probably have one of those drank too much stories where we now don't drink that uh, particular um, beverage alcohol. For me, it's tequila. Gin. Molson Canadian. <laughs> Nobody should be drinking Molson Canadian. So, sorry yeah. to name that particular but, brand by name, but it was it was that particular brand and yes. And a but it's funny it's so funny that we all have that that, that we all have a story of, of one bad experience which has turned us off whatever for whatever the beverage alcohol was. Yeah, I still can't drink gin and, and it's gotta be over twenty years. Yeah, it's tequila for me, and it's 30 years or 40 years. Yeah, like that. even the smell of gin, I'm like, oh, no, you got to keep that away from me. Yeah. So, so Ed, I but, think you, you talked about the, this wine, getting back to the wine. You talked about yeah. uh, Nadia's Vineyard being, the Nadia's Vineyard Riesling being a benchmark, which is something I completely agree with. As far as benchmark Rieslings, and they all come from that little corner, you know, I have no problem uttering in the same sentence uh, the Flat Rock Riesling, um, Vineland Estates, the St. Urban Vineyard Urban. and the Black Sheep Riesling from Featherstone, and you, you. Oh, you gotta, you gotta put a Cave Spring in there too. We got okay, 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 but we're, but we're still talking about like geographically, all within a pretty close vicinity. What is it about that site that makes it so special for making crushable Riesling? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start with the soil. I know it's uh, what every winemaker and and proprietor will start talking about is the soil is the place, but you know we're right on the Niagara Escarpment and. Um, you know, we're, we're, it's 300 feet deep of limestone, right? To me, it's just grade nine geography. When you learn that the Niagara Escarpment was an old saltwater sea 400 million years ago, laid down the sediment, and it's created this amazing foundation for the wine. Uh, and the bench, you, you know, they're all on the bench. They're all um, right in there. And I'll say the other thing for both of them, it, or for all three of us, we're a little bit higher up on the bench. So if you look at where we are sitting on the bench, it's uh, it's on the, hot, the the higher up portion of the bench, 
which gives us, I think, a little bit cooler air and uh, gives us a little bit more uh, of airflow. When you're right at that crest where we are, where particularly where Nigel's Vineyard is, um, that crest of the bench has where the warm air coming off the lake and the either the cooler or the warmer air in behind on the other side of the escarpment meet uh, creates a lot of wind. And so we're, there's a lot of airflow that typically uh, is a little bit more up higher on the bench. And I think the soil and its location higher up on the bench for all three of those wines that you uh, that we're talking about uh, make it very unique. So what um, I know you you do this as a, a single vineyard Nadja, and then you have your regular Riesling. So yep. for the listeners out there, what is the difference between the Nadjas and the the regular, the regular Riesling, Riesling that, you put, that out? you put out? Yeah. So the regular Riesling is too also a single vineyard. Uh, when we started this crazy experiment of flat rock cellars and our first vintage and um, um, what we started finding was the different parts of the vineyard gave us very different fruit. And when we started looking at, Hey, let's, we'll put them together. It's the same, same area They're you know, let's say uh, three, 400 meters apart. And, uh, but you know, how different can they be? And every time we sort of looked at putting it together um, you know, let's say, 50-50 or 75-25, whatever we wanted the percentage, the taste of the blended wine was never as strong as the really distinct flavors that you got from the individual wines themselves. And that sort of um, made the decision for us that we would keep the wines separate and independent. So even the Estate Riesling is a single vineyard wine, comes from one block down in the middle of the vineyard. Um, has a different soil structure, uh, different temperature, a little bit warmer part of the vineyard, uh, deeper deeper soils before you hit the the hard limestone. So they're very, I'll say, different vineyards and give us different fruit. But ultimately, they're both single vineyard wines. Got it. Got it. And the, uh, the nodges are available at the winery, or is it also available at the LCBO these days? Yeah. So. Um, when the LCBO orders it, yes, it is available on the front end release for a vintages release. And, and uh, you know, it sells obviously relatively quickly, uh, but obviously it's always available at the winery. And the price, obviously, you need to know that. Yeah, it's twenty four ninety five. which, you know, our, our strategy on pricing is not simply to over, and this I'll say for all of our wines, is not just simply to over deliver um, versus our colleagues in the industry. But, you know, I really try and, and we, the team at the winery, really try to look at it on a global perspective and, and believe that our wine, you can't find better wines at our price points from anywhere in the world. And that's just our philosophy. And you did pick up a, a, a winemaker in the, in the last few years, I guess. Yeah, it's been here. I want to say his first vintage was coming out of 16. So, um, um, yeah, so it's been a few years now, so maybe I guess it's going on three years, three, four harvests. Uh, and Dave Shepard, I wouldn't say he's a new winemaker. <laughs> um, oh, I'll, Dave I'll definitely say he's, new. he's a seasoned winemaker who is new to Flat Rock Cellars, and I think he's doing some amazing stuff at our place. He's an, he's an old barrel, so to, yes, say, so to speak. Yes, absolutely. Can we move on to the yeah. Chardonnay now? Look at Andre. He's like sure. so, so like, I know, I know we're recording this on the 20th of, uh, of May and the 21st is, uh, is Chardonnay day from what I understand. Not that I give a, <laughs> uh, but 
but uh, I, I understand that it's it's Chardonnay Day, but uh, in Andre's house, every day is Chardonnay Day. Pretty much. Yeah, what's wrong with Chardonnay? Uh, it's Chardonnay. Ed, you're asking the wrong question. The real question is, what's wrong with Michael? Well, I don't know about that. I love Chardonnay is great. It's, uh, it's the problem with Chardonnay Ed, is that Kistler continues to make Chardonnay. I think we uh, we came across that last podcast. <laughs> so my great story with with Kistler, and this is just a funny for me, just a total on the side. Um, you know, everybody looks at reviews, and I remember this was uh, not you guys reviewing, and I'm sure uh, you guys would have done the same. But this was in the Globe and Mail, and Beppe was reviewing our Twisted, and. Um, he also, in that same article, was reviewing the Kistler Chardonnay, and he gave them both the same score, with the Kistler being, whatever the score was, 92 or whatever, and the Kistler was, you know, $89, and our Twisted was 16 or 17.95. So I thought that was a great uh, kudos for us, comparing us to having us to have the same score as a Kistler Chardonnay. Well, I always find Kistler to just be way too oaky for my taste. I, I know... And you know that Chardonnay is a fruit, and I think first and foremost, Chardonnay should taste a fruit, and then whatever else you do with it should then play a, a backing role to enhance it. Not, hey, here's some vanilla, here's some butterscotch, here's some oak, and then guess what? There's some fruit kicking around in the background. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. To me, the best wines in the world are are balanced wines. You should never be saying, oh, that wine has a lot of oak or a lot of sweetness or whatever. Um, I, when I drink a great wine, um, I want to just, you know, oh, my God, everything, the fruit, the oak, the sugar, the acidity, the tannins, whatever, are all in balance. And that, to me, is what makes great wine. And, and that's what we try and do is build really harmonious wines. I think Andre is now bathing in your Chardonnay because he's very quiet. No, I'm there just trying. Go. I'm just trying to figure out um, like where to go because uh, I've been fairly unapologetic in my love of the the rusty shed, and I know the the 2017 vintage of that. I I went through a case of it easily, one bottle at a time, and unfortunately, I know it's it's sold out at the winery now. Um, but I, I have some questions just about. You know, as as someone who owns a winery and, and sells Chardonnay and and getting product to market, um, I had a chance to taste the 2018 Rusty Shed a little while ago, and I found it sort of like we we talk about balance. At the time I tasted it, which would have been about six months ago, it was a little bit off balance. And here we are six months later, and it's right in that in that pocket of starting to open up, and it's perfectly balanced. Like how how hard is it to balance that having product for market and making sure something gets there when it needs to be? Because I think people who, if they tasted the wine six months ago, would would not be a fan of it. Yeah, you know it, that's always a tough question, right? Because there's, I, I'd love to say there was an easy answer. Part of it's economics, right? For a winery, is what's available. If you run out, if you get a run on something, remember our planning process for volume and is at a minimum two years in advance. So we've got to guess. We're, we're, we actually have a meeting tomorrow to talk about what our needs are from this harvest. You know, how much rusty do we need to make? How much estate chardonnay do we need to make? Whatever it is, and we've got to guess for two years out, right? And um, so uh, it's a, it's a real challenge, right? And sometimes we get it right, which is great. Sometimes more often than not, we get it wrong, and we're either short or we're long. 
And um, when we're short, you, you're, you're sort of pushed to release it a little bit sooner and get it out sooner than you would like. And if you're long, kind of great for the consumer because now they get a wine usually that has a year, maybe a year and a half of bottle age, which is perfect when you're releasing the wine. And, you know, if I could do it perfectly all the time, I would release all my wines about a year after they bottled. It never works that way, but that to me would be sort of the ideal. And so, like you said, you taste something that's just been beat up from a bottling run and, you know, it takes six, eight months for it to get out of that and, and start to, to start to flourish. So, um, maybe is there a rule of thumb that we could use if I'm buying a bottle of Rusty Shed? Um, when should I look at opening it up? So I find that one of the hardest questions to answer because obviously we get it a lot from people. And, you know, I can give you, I can taste with you guys some old Chardonnay from Flat Rock Cellars that'll knock your socks off. Even our, our unplugged, um, which is our unoaked Chardonnay that's 10, 12, 15 years old will just be amazing, great complexity, great age Chardonnay character. Um, so it really all depends on what you like, right? If you like bright, young, fresh wines, then drink them a little bit earlier. If you like mature, softer, rounder wines with more evolved characteristics, then age them longer. Um, you know, I, I, I find our wines, like I said, the ideal for me is a year after bottling to start drinking them. And depending on how you like your wine, uh, they've got years and years to go. So I'm always a big fan of... Um of cooler vintage rusty shed versus hot vintage rusty shed. And uh, it just seems also that, uh, and I don't know if you're going to explain this at all in hot vintages. I like your regular Chardonnay. Uh, is there a reason why that would be the case or you don't know? I, I, I honestly, I, 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 I don't know. Um, I, I think when we, I, I think the answer I would sit there and say is when we are, select again we, we're not trying to necessarily make the same wine every year we are trying to allow uh, mother nature to show what she gave us from that year so we typically with uh, rusty shed will take the i'll call them bigger more concentrated uh chardonnays um and and so in a warmer vintage, they're going to be that much bigger and that much bolder. And the same is true, obviously, with the estate, which might not get all of the big, bold, um, fruit-driven Chardonnay from a vintage. And in a, uh, so in a cooler vintage, it might be a little bit leaner. And a warmer vintage, it's going to find that right balance. So that's probably, I'll say, what, what makes the most sense. You know, I always look at every vintage as... Our winemaker Dave and our winemakers Dave and Allison finding the best expression of Mother Nature. So I just I just did a quick look on my cellar and, and it, it still proves out. So 16 hot vintage. I have two bottles of the Rusty Shed. 17, one of those wonky vintages, obviously, but uh, I'm going to call it a cooler vintage. Yeah, uh, I've I've got a half dozen of those. So. Yeah. Uh, I you have can see where I where I lean as far as the rusty shed goes, and Andre is now salivating because I still have some seventeen rusty shed. <laughs> I have I have one bottle left, and I am coveting that bottle because I know it's it's under screw cap, so I don't have to worry about that being 
corked or, or damaged in any way, and I know that that wine has a long time to to go before I kill it. I'm just, I'm very, very happy to retaste the 2018 Rusty Shed that I'm actually, I am texting a friend of mine who was kind enough to bring me the last bottle of 2017 that came into the house to let her know that the 2018 is something worth picking up, too. So, Ed, um... I'm t- I'm I'm tasting the the 18 and I'm getting something a little different here than Andre who, you know, basically masturbates over Chardonnay every night. Um Thanks, I'm Michael. getting a, a a richer fuller Chardonnay. Um and and I'm think 18 is a very hot summer but a very really uh vintage for the most part, but Chardonnay would have come off early. Uh, I'm I'm thinking uh, so it would have benefited or not benefited from all of that heat. So that that's what I'm getting off of this one. Andre's saying he's getting a lot of balance. I'm getting a richer, fuller, almost California-esque, but still yeah, with but Michael, that it, Ontario it has acidity it, but Michael, that kicks it has out its in acid, the back that, But that's what balance is. Like it's a it's a richer style. Like it's it's dealing with a hot summer. It speaks to the vintage. But like just because it's not. Just because it's not like the the cool and leaner style of Chardonnay, like it, it speaks to the conditions, it's tasty. But, and but I'm balanced. still not getting a lot of fruit, Andre. I'm getting a lot of that vanilla, buttery, spiced apple. Um, you know, the acidity kicks in, but it kicks in to stop that vanilla. It I hate to tell you this, Michael, buttery. but apples apples a fruit. Spice. Apples a fruit. But I'm not getting apples and apricots. I'm not getting a lot of that out of this wine. No, but I'm getting like like peach jam, uh, tangerine, like like it's it's got that creamsicle vibe to it that I think is really great from uh, uh, from good like from a good bottle of Chardonnay. And what I'll say for this is when you, I, I think what you're, I think you're both are right. So as I think about the vintage and what we had to do in the winery, um, a lot of this has to do with um, uh, um, sorting grapes, right? So even in a challenging harvest that might be wet and, and there might be some breakdown and stuff like that, um, what happens is it comes into the winery and we're hand sorting the grapes. So we're taking all the bad stuff off. And what you're left with is from a hot summer is this really concentrated. So you're only getting the best berries, which tend to be the most concentrated, the richest berries, which tends to, to give that, that weightierness to the wine. So I would say that's probably, you know, in practical terms. And if we were just, I'll say machine harvesting, you get everything. It would be, would, would be a very, obviously a very, very different tasting wine. All right, I'll give it to you. But it's, <laughs> and it's, and it's you gonna, know what? It's 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 an infant. Like this is going to continue to evolve. Sheds go go. The seventeen was outstanding. The sixteen hot vintage, still good. You know, uh, my wife loves Chardonnay, so you know she liked that one. Uh, you know, I I I'll be honest. I poured her a glass because there's no way that I can go into any kind of tasting where Chardonnay is involved and and leave her out of it. So I left her a glass. And I, I let her uh, taste it, and she went, yeah, that's okay. Um, it, it, it's, I, I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw 18 into a hot vintage category instead of 17, which was that cooler vintage category. Yeah, and, and you know what I think would be interesting is, is let's get together in a year or two. Let's try yeah. all these vintages in a row blind and see what we think of them. Because I think um, as you see them evolve – you know, um, who knows how, how each of them will evolve over time. And they may, you know, you may like one over the other differently in two years from now, which I always think is fun with wine. 
if we're going to do something like that, it'd be really great to try something like from 13 and 14 as well, which are yeah. cool vintages, uh, which have show, which would have showed very well. You guys know, anytime you want to come and do tastings like that, I'm up for it. I'm so right. game, so let's game crank for it that. out. I, I just, I really think that Michael's assessment of this wine is wrong, and I just like to be able to tell him he's wrong when he is wrong. On the on the other hand, uh, <laughs> you did give Andre a chubby when you said come out and try Chardonnay. Anytime, <laughs> so, well, seriously, guys, I, the, to me, the best thing about what I do is being able to share the passion that we have for making wine. And uh, so, anytime you guys want to come and you want to do a Chardonnay, you want to do a Riesling, you want to do a Pinot, happy to happy to to do it and show you how wines evolve. Which now brings us to these two bottles that we have in front of us. And you're going to have to explain the project to us. I'm looking at two bottles of 2017 Pinot Noir. One says nurture, one says nature. What it, what's what's going on here? I, so actually, to set the stage. Before, oh, so go ahead. Just before Andre. Ed get in, gets into this, it's um, it's one of my favorite things about about Flat Rock is like that core to your portfolio is like it, it's it's something that is always worth showing up for. But when you've got you got these little like skunk works product skunk works uh, projects that come to be from time to time i think the last one that really sticks out well there, there was the ultra that you guys made yep. in 2017 yep. and then before that it was the uh I, I don't even know what you called it where the, the vineyard was split into the three sections uh and you yep. did our, our block series the block series there uh yep. so I, I was super stoked but like the moment i saw these labels it was just like oh what are you up to ed yeah, so I, I, you know, that certainly is a hallmark of what we do at Flat Rock Cellars. Every year, doesn't matter. Uh, we always experiment. Sometimes we bottle that, those experiments. Um, uh, there's going to be another one coming out shortly for you guys, which um, you're going to find very interesting as well. Just to tease you a little bit on that, um, and it might have to do with Riesling and Nadja's Vineyard. Okay, um, but um, we always continually experiment to get better. And uh, whether it's with oak, whether it's with our blocks, whether it's the clones of Pinot we use, um, or whether in this case it's fermentation techniques, um, we are always trying to figure out a better way to do what we do to make our wines better and better. And I think uh, I can confidently say that, you know, the wines that we made in three, four and five are not as good as the wines we're making today. And uh, that is because our passion for learning um, is is what we do all the time. And so uh, this was an experiment that um, that came about uh, in a little debate Dave Shepard and I were having around fermentation techniques. The traditional, uh, I'll say, wine geeky world wants to talk about wild yeast ferment or natural fermentation and, you know, uh, all of that kind of stuff that we all uh, have heard about um, versus you know using cultured yeast and inoculating uh, grape juice and fermenting a wine with cultured yeasts, and uh, that's really was at you know that was at the heart of the debate that Dave and I were having. Which one is better? And we said, well, instead of just debating with words and assuming that you know the natural fermentation or the wild yeast fermentation method is better because that's what everybody wants to say. Um, let's try it. And so with this experiment, we, the, the grapes, uh, were picked the same day from the same block were put into two different, um, stainless steel tanks 
They were kept separately all the way through. One was obviously we just let the natural yeast in the air begin ferment fermentation, and that is the nature uh, wine that you have. And in the other tank, we inoculated it with some cultured yeast, let it ferment, and that is uh, what is in the nurture bottle. We gravity fed it down into the exact same oak barrels, so there's no different in oak, um, aged in the exact same oak for the exact same amount of time. And at the end of it, we bottled the nature and we bottled the nurture. Um, and that's what you have in front of you. And, um, yeah, I'd love to hear what you guys think. So well, is, it one, is it just one barrel or did you do a number of barrels of this? No, there, there's, there's a number of barrels. Okay. Which, which so, side of then, the argument were you on, on Ed? Were you a nature or nurture guy? I think no, that... no, 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 no. Let's, uh, let's, uh, <laughs> let's try these, Andre, before we, uh, we, we peg. Uh, well, that's how I was going to uh, decide. That's how I was going to decide which one to taste first, Michael. Well, what I was going to do is say to Ed, which one do you want to taste first? What, is there one that should be tasted over the nope. other, Ed, or just nope. taste them whenever? No, nope. you can taste them whenever. Um, the only, I, you know, my only, what I will say confidently is they are dramatically different wines. And these are available to the public, correct? They are available. There's a very limited quantity. They are definitely available to the public, and they're available at the winery. And but how much are they? I want to say they're $45 because of how limited the quantity is. Okay. And it's a very, and we sell them only together because we want people to have this experience. Um, and like I said, I, uh, once you taste them, I'd love to hear your thoughts and then I'll, I'll give you a sort of my take on it. I've got the nature. So Andre, which one did you open glass. first? Just to know. Nature. Um, be, and, and literally because the bottle was closest to me. Interesting. I I uh, I went with the nurture first, which uh, all right. So oh, then I so guess we're gonna have to let Ed speak about clarify, something else. It's a, like uh, it's hundred dollars. Go, go try them. Tell go us. Try. Look. Go tell ahead. us the story of, of something bad you did to your mother, Ed. While we. While oh we no! I will not do that. I will not give away my sins. Uh, I, I, let me atone for them and forget them as much as possible. Mm. So it's and just a slight correction because I went on the website. Um, it's a hundred dollars for the pair. Oh, hundred dollars for the pair. Yeah, I think if we release them to our club members uh, at at ninety dollars. But yeah, it's a hundred dollars. So you should, if you want them, uh, save ten bucks. Join our club. We'll get them to you. And that's oh, wow. the fun part about clubs. Like I know it's funny. I, you know, great opportunity during COVID to to exp explore the the various clubs that wineries in Niagara have because. It's a fun way to get wine. For us, it's every quarter, and it's similar for a lot of wineries. Uh, it's just a fun way to, to, to explore wine and have access to wines you wouldn't otherwise get access to. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool way to, to try wines. This is insane how different. This is completely Isn't it? insane how different these wines are. So is have it... you tried them both, Andre? Yeah, I I, I kind of want to do a third part of this where I might I might do a blend of the two of them together, or would that be sacrilege, Ed? No, go for it. Absolutely. <laughs> no, like, but it it is amazing how different they are. Here's the thing: is, is, is I'm trying to find something like snappy to throw up, throw at Michael. I don't even know if if I could guess which one you would be preferring. Why don't you try it, Andre? Um, I'm guessing you're leaning towards nurture. Uh, why is that? Uh, the nature, it is a little rough around the edge, uh, but I I really dig that. I like that it's got a nice 
a nice hit of earthiness to it, and it does have like just a hint of uh, bitterness on the finish. That's why you. So, which one are you leaning towards? I'm all about nature. I just I find it a little bit more complex. I find it's got a little bit more floral, and the nurture really it's bringing the fruit, and the and the nature is bringing a little bit more uh, a little bit more complexity, even with that slight bitter note. Well, I'll I'll tell you, Andre. Things you you very rarely know about me because you just don't ask because you just don't seem to care. Um, <laughs> uh, I am a I'm a big fan of wild ferment stuff. Uh, in my I know Chardonnay's, you are. I know uh, you are in uh, in my Pinots. Uh, I always find that wild ferment uh, gives you something a little bit different, a little bit more fun, a little bit funkier. Uh, when Rosewood did some of their wild ferment stuff. Uh, I was I was a big fan of that, and even going forward, uh, from any winery that said we did a wild ferment, I'm always like, oh, I got to try that. So, I'm finding that that I am totally leaning towards the nature. I find it fruit forward. I find that great. Uh, just on on the initial couple of tastes that I've done, uh, I love that cranberry, wild cherry, spiced, slightly peppery. It just seems to be a little bit rounder, a little bit more put together. Nurture just seems a little bit on the, I don't want to say fake side, uh, because it's definitely Pinot, because I, I tried that one first. Uh, it just I feels like it's, 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 it's the nurture order. because it was, it was 100% Pinot. Like, I stuck my nose in that glass, and I was like, that is Pinot, 100%. Like, but nature... then when you get to the nature, I'm liking the softness the 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 nice fruit i'm liking a lot of what's going on in there so i'm leaning nature well my metaphor is gonna suck after you talked about the the refined elements of the nature and i'll agree that they're both elegant but i mean nature is like a really well put together garage rock band like when everything is just working properly and the nurture is like uh you know a university marching band with all those moving pieces in in order but like that that structure while it's it's big is you know it, it it's maybe just missing that passion you get from a garage a garage rock band you know i love the way you guys are describing it it's great ed what side did you fall on um you know they're both uh my baby so i can't fall on either side as, oh don't as, give me that wine <laughs> makers and owners pull that so off on I, me. so i know what, i know that Deep down, it's, Ed, do you have children? I've never asked that question. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've got two kids, yes. Okay, so you actually like one more than the other, and you'll never admit it. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to ask you which one of your kids you like no, better, I'll, but I'll, one I'll of these wines you like better than the other. I'll say I, I, it all depends on the time, how old they are, and what evolution they're going through, right? So when uh, my daughter was five and my son was born, I preferred my daughter because she was interesting and my son was just born. And now that my daughter is 19 is I probably prefer my hang out with my son because my daughter is a 19-year-old woman. So, um, And her and her dad don't necessarily get along perfectly until she maybe <laughs> turns 22. So we'll see how it goes. So I don't, have a, I don't have a favorite. It's just where they are in their life cycle, I think, makes it more important. But was there a part uh, of the conversation with, with Dave, though, where it was just like, we've got we've to do this? Like He must have been weighing, weighing some pros and cons. Uh, and, and I mean, the people who are, are visiting the winery, like... You have to think about your your customers as well, making sure you're making something that people can can buy. Like, yeah, no, I I think what happens is is we do these experiments, and like I say, we do experiments every year. So some 
are, are we're able to do this and share with with our customers and some you know don't don't necessarily see the light of day um you know a lot of you know barrel you know when we try different barrel companies um you know we're not gonna we don't necessarily do a you know highlight those things so um you know what i for me on this is I, I I love the way you guys are describing it, and I think the reason why, and I and I, I just want to explain it uh, to the listeners how I look at it. For, for me, natural fermentation or wild fermentation, what happens is is it starts, and in a winery there are perhaps dozens of different yeasts floating in the air. So what happens when you start fermenting that that wine gets those natural yeasts? There might be ten or twelve different yeasts starting to ferment that wine. And so if you ever have the opportunity, and I've done this with Chardonnay, I'll have a barrel of Chardonnay inoculated with CY3079 and BA11, just two different yeasts, exact same juice, exact same barrels. And those two barrels will taste, those two wines will taste completely different simply because of the yeast. So with natural yeast fermentation, you've got like 10 different yeasts fermenting that wine, giving it a giving it different flavor for each of those yeasts. Ultimately, one yeast will start to dominate and one yeast will finish the fermentation. But while it builds th- through there, there's multiple yeasts fermenting the, that grape juice. And that's where that complexity of flavor comes out. When you're using the cultured yeast, obviously it's going to be one yeast that is fermenting that wine. And I'll say it it it, it reduces the uh, complexity of potentially of the wine, but it gives you a pureness that you don't necessarily get in the nature, right? Uh, it is very pure expression of that juice of those grapes uh, versus what I think nature gives a more complex um, vision of uh, the juice that we got. So that to me is the way I see the difference, and and like you like you guys have experienced, they are dramatically different wines. Did, did he actually answer the question where he was on the argument, uh, nope. Andre? Nope. He, no, I think I did. I think Ed. <laughs> I think Ed will be running for office in an upcoming no. election because, as a producer at a radio station, you handled that like any politician does when they come yeah, on yeah. the Jim Richards show. So, and so I'll, I'll look at it from a business perspective, right? So, um, I think the wine. Passionate wine geeks, the Pinot freaks, are going to fall in love with nature. And I'll say the less involved consumer um, will have a easier time with uh, nurture. And I, so I think there's two different people that are out there that will enjoy the wines differently. Um, but but Ed, you, you said that you and, you and uh, Dave had the conversation. Which and if you're having a discussion and one is on one side of the equation and one is on the other, somebody's so, got to be on one side and somebody's got to be on the other. Don't make so, us bring Dave into this conversation. No, okay, no, no. Okay, so okay, so the Dave was more. Dave was trying to convince me that um, using uh, cultured yeast was was a good technique and wasn't necessarily better different. I don't, neither one of us thought it was better or worse. And I just wanted to know which, which one is, which one do we think is better? And I think we're, look, I'm a Pinot geek. So if you want me to fall on a side, I'm going to fall on the side of nature in these two particular wines from a winemaking perspective. 
having the two, having both at our disposal to blend together to make our gravity or make our estate Pinot Noir is an amazing palette that Dave has to be able to put those wines together. You know, Pinot Noir, it looks like it's not a blended wine, but if we have 250 barrels of Pinot Noir, Dave has to put those 200, blend those 250 barrels together. And when he has, you know, these this bright, fruit-driven, very pure expression that is given from nurture, and he's able to blend it with wines that have that complexity, that earthiness, that that uh, unknown roughness of nature, and be able to put them together. You know, that's what makes our you know allows him to make gravity, which to me is a it, it turns into an exceptional wine. And so that was really the purpose of the experiment is to to see how can we make ultimately better Pinot Noir at Flat Rock Cellars. You answered the question. There you go. <laughs> so, Andre, did you um, did you blend the two wines? I did not. Uh, what I did uh, was I went back and grabbed another swig of the 2018 Rusty Shed because uh, I so want to put I want to put the nature do, before, put... before we wrap before we wrap up with Ed, uh, Andre, suck back that uh, Rusty Shed. I want you to put a, about the same amount Doing into it. each glass. Uh, and I'll and I'll give you some time to do it while I while I give a couple of, of thoughts. So I did I did do it. I you gave me the idea and I was like, all right. And I have a I have a buddy that I uh, that I have dinner with at least once a year in Michigan. I go to his uh, house around Christmas time, and his name is Dave Brzezinski. Dave used to uh, manage the Iron Sheik, if you can believe it, in the WWF when it was the WWF, <laughs> and. Um, him and I uh, taste a bunch of wines, and at the end of the night, he does what's called a davatage, and that's <laughs> where he blends the wines together that we tried to see if we can make a better wine than the one we tried. And uh, so I was inspired by Andre saying, what happens if I mix them, and Dave doing that, and uh, I would say 75% of the time, we end up with a better wine because we know how much of each wine to put in. Uh, just talking here quickly, I found the nurture to be, uh, it tastes like it's all over the place, which is really funny based on what Ed was saying, uh, because he said it's, you know, it's one, one yeast culture, uh, and one yeast does the job versus nature, which I thought was a fully formed wine. And Ed had said that it's a whole bunch of yeasts working together and then one ends up just, you know, taking it to the end. I, I really, uh, Ed, I really love that nature wine. I could I could drink that all night. It had a purity. It had a complexity that just, just I, I it was one of those wines that I couldn't get enough of. I, I just loved that Pinot. Great. I'm glad you did. I did the blend. Uh, I did the so, blend, but um, I'm actually surprised. I thought that all that, like, luscious fruit from the nurture would bring more complexity to the nature but what i feel has happened is it's just made the nature wine a little less complex i, I don't it's think still a, it's still a good wine together yes but i don't uh, think i don't think it but i, I don't think it lean, i still it. lean nature yeah i'm i'm on the nature team as well but you Ed, should... we'd like to thank you for yeah. being with us to, tonight. hey no, no I, I i i love the discussion it's great well that was interesting and i i do love i i think flat rock in my mind, are the flagship for price to quality ratio year in and year out. 
Well, Andre, you started that uh, talking because I was ready to go, mother puss bucket. Um, I, I just really, you know, I know your love of Chardonnay. So, you know, I kind of, I hate to say I wrote that part of the podcast off, although I get that Chardonnay. The reasoning we didn't really talk about, but really was, you know, a, a pretty textbook mineral driven Riesling. And, you know, you know, kudos to Flat Rock for pulling off these every single year. Like they do a great job on that Chardonnay and those Rieslings. Uh, but I think the mind blowing aspect of this podcast was those Pinots, that nature versus nurture. And I cannot believe, I cannot believe that we both ended up on the nature side of it. Uh, I can. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I can totally see that. It was just so wonderfully complex. It just had that, like, extra, like, layer of, like, I, I, there's no way to taste it, but it just felt like unbridled passion in that bottle versus the um, the nurture. And, um, I mean, I guess a shout-out to, I, I, I guess, I, I don't even know if what... So it would have been started, but not or sorry finished by Dave, but not started by Dave. But the last few vintages of Gravity that have come to market have it just feels like every year they're getting a little bit better. And I am really looking forward to seeing the next batch of Pinots coming out from Flat Rock. Well, I mean, seventeen is is all Dave. Like sixteen, he came there, so seventeen is all his, and everything from seventeen. Uh, and and you know for. I think Flat Rock, to you know, if you think about the winemakers that have gone through Flat Rock, they've all been young, uh, they've all gone on to great things, and then they pick up this uh, veteran, let's let's call him that, uh, but he picked up a veteran of, of over 30 years in this industry. I think it's, I've always said it's a real coup for Flat Rock to finally get somebody like that to come in and now spearhead their wines it's it really shows you know where flat rock can be uh and then even after dave retires that's going to be pretty interesting to see where they go from there and on that note you can subscribe to this podcast on itunes as i'm sure you already have but please leave a review tell a friend uh you can send us an email at two guys talking wine at gmail.com uh check out our patreon we appreciate the support that we get and I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. And I'm Michael Pincus from MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Please wash your hands. Uh, it's, it's just good practice. I really, I really think that, especially before I give you a glass of wine. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.